You are listening to Enlight, the podcast for education, leadership, and innovative teaching. In today's episode, we explore the role of technology in education with a particular focus on virtual reality tools. Our guest shares his team's experience designing a virtual lab tool that not only simulates but enhances the lab experience for students, providing real-time feedback and support. We also discuss the use of VR to empower students with design thinking, which became even more crucial during the pandemic. The conversation touches on the potential impact of AI technology with a belief that it will change education permanently and educators need to adapt and focus on enhancing critical thinking skills. This leads us to rethinking assessment methods with a focus on assessing, understanding, and critical thinking skills. All right, and welcome to the Enlight podcast. Today we have Associate Professor of Engineering Education, Ben Chan, joining us. He is the Director of the Center for Engineering Education Innovation, E-Square-I, and also Associate Director of Academy of Bright Future Young Engineers. Uh, Welcome to the show, Ben. Yeah, good morning. (laughs) We're really happy to have you here. Maybe we'll begin with possibly if you can explain what you're doing at E-Square-I, what it's all Mm -hmm. about. And from there, I'd like to move on to explaining what your teaching and learning strategy is Mm -hmm. and and what you're hoping to achieve Mm -hmm. with students. The long and the short is E-Square-I is a unit that's trying to craft a better learning experience for our engineering students. So we don't just focus on teaching and learning. Uh, Courses definitely is a part of higher education, but lectures itself does not really give students a lot of learning elements nowadays because like the cognitive side of learning, the theories, the equations that students have to learn. In the old days, they these are very important elements. But now you can actually Google everything. The reason why we ask students to remember 100 equations and go to examination, we, we have that question in mind and we keep asking ourselves why we are still doing things like that. So that's why in E-square-I, we try to combine different elements together. So learning is not really just about developing courses. It's also about academic advising. It's also about co-curricular activities, competitions, um, some kind of startups experience. Mm-hmm. So we try to put all these together. We don't call it first year curriculum. We call it first year experience program. So uh, that's what we've been doing in E-Square-I. We are not just a bunch of teachers putting together, trying to look at how we can teach better, although that's a part of what we are doing. But we are actually putting it in a larger scope instead of just focus on courses and lectures. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking a lot about is the experience, obviously, and, and how experiential learning is really important. And before we get to talking about innovative ways that you are allowing students to experience engineering and engineering education. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit more about what is the core value of experiential learning? What is it that you're trying to achieve? Is it Mm. to help them see the transferability of knowledge and tasks and skills? Is it about giving them to experience something in an authentic situation? What's the core aspect, the core value? You actually highlighted two major elements already uh, because you understand the context. So experiential learning has been around for quite some time. Um, I mean, 
basically in literature, we are talking about trying to get students to understand what the authentic real workplace uh, experience should be, what is needed when you really go out to work. The second thing is to get students to have some kind of, we call it transferable skill. Mm-hmm. So it's not something just from the textbook that you use in the examination, but something that you learn through the curriculum. Can you transform it into something that you can solve new problems in the future? So this is one thing. But if you go back to look at like our main philosophy in terms of doing all these, mm-hmm. uh, we actually have a slogan under the square I. We call it teaching to learn, learning to teach. Mm-hmm. If you ask me to use one word to describe what we are doing is empowering. The issue is that whenever we develop something, I keep telling the team in square I that when we do something for students, we need to understand who they are. From my research experience over the past decade, I learned one thing is that students, they are not the same mm-hmm. nowadays because one major reason is their social media environment, the habits that they have been doing. YouTube is a, is a game changer. I mean, students nowadays, they have like so many options. They want to do something, they will Google it and mm-hmm. they find a way to do it. And because of that, they have a very strong mindset that if I don't want to do something, I don't do it because... I can always find something to do on YouTube. I have options. I have choices. And when it comes to education, when you are saying that, yeah, you need to work hard to learn this because you are going to use it in the future, it doesn't work because they don't see why they have to learn it in the first place. Right. Even though you tell them, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Study, go from chapter one to chapter two to chapter three. Eventually, you will find out what, why you have to learn these. The students don't buy that anymore because... Yeah, I don't want it because I have too many things lining up that I can do. Uh, even though I just have a mobile phone, there are maybe a hundred things that I can do in, in the same time. Another element that uh, we, we talked about in relation to this is this whole concept of failure, mm-hmm. right? We've already had this discussion. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about it. In a sense, you're almost hoping that students fail during their experiences. Uh, can you maybe explain the benefits of this? Why are you encouraging failure? It's a very interesting thing because failure is, is like a monster to students nowadays. It's not in their dictionary. They've grew up, like, even though they are not performing well, people say, that, yeah, you work hard on this. Yeah, it's not bad. That's, that's actually quite good. Um, this kind of philosophy, I'm not like hater of positive psychology. Positive psychology is talking about something different, mm-hmm. all right? But somehow people hijack the term by telling students that, no, you don't fail. There's no failure in your life. When it comes to research or comes to innovation, you have to face it. You have to understand what is the meaning of failure because lots of students, when they see failure, when they see it as a monster, they am defeated by the monster. Mm. And that's it. And they, they struggle because... They never try to look at failure as, as a learning process. You fail, you reflect on the failure, you can learn a lot from it. And that is something missing from a lot of students who want to do startup, who want to do innovation. Failure is something that they are not familiar with. That's why we try to generate scenario to tell them that, yeah, you fail, but it doesn't really matter, all right? So it's not really about that failure itself. But what you can learn from that failure, that's the theory, I call it falling forward. You fall, but you fall forward because you you look at that experience and then try to see, okay, 
when I do it next time, what are the things that I can change? What are the things that I need to pay attention to in order to do something better? But this is not easy to do because like students, somehow they have the mindset to prevent failure. Because in examination setting, failure means the end of the world. Like you don't do well in the examination, that's, that's the it. end of the world. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So, so that's why they don't feel very comfortable about failure. That's why in one of our course, we have the failure celebration section. So everyone will sit down. We have drinks and food and pizza provided students, and they talk about the failure experience. Right. And then we try to pick one and give a award to the grand failure. Uh, we call it the grand failure award. The so grand we, failure award, yeah. Yeah. And um, try to get students, help them to look at failure, to understand what failure is really about. That's that's one of the things that we are doing right now. I mean, this is all part of learning design, isn't it, right? And experiential learning. It's, it's failing, getting the feedback, and you've kind of made it a, a ceremonial thing. Yeah. Ceremonies are, become something that builds up a community, right, which reinforces collaboration. I can see how this would work quite well, and it would be very innovative and disruptive yeah. to students because... Mm-hmm. In an exam environment, failure is the end game. But you're just telling them, no, it's only the beginning in a yeah. sense, right? So we're talking a lot about the philosophy behind your design of experiential learning in E-square-I. But I also want to talk a little bit about some of the innovative approaches that and the tools that you've mm-hmm. brought into this, mm-hmm. right? Because I think this is also really interesting. A couple of weeks ago, you showed me the VR tools that you're starting to use where students are able to partake in some sort of lab procedure Mm -hmm. uh, step-by-step in a VR setting. And that was innovative in itself. But to me, what was even more innovative was that you have designed a way that a teacher will have a God view Mm -hmm. to the entire class so you can see Mm -hmm. what every student is doing in the virtual lab in real time, get in real time feedback on what the students are doing, Mm -hmm. and then be able to intervene. Can you ex- expand on this a little bit more and why why have you taken this approach? This is a philosophy about what's the role of technology in education. Mm. Uh, there are lots of like fancy things coming up uh, over the past few years. You have uh, synchronized online learning, virtual reality. You have this metaverse idea in education. When it comes to E-square, uh, I, we like technology because students always find it exciting. Mm. Okay, to play a game in a lecture, to do like virtual reality experience in a lecture, you hold the go-go and then you can experience something else out of the classroom. That's exciting. That's fancy. So you feel happy about it. But that's not the end of the journey because it's the education that matters. They feel excited. They feel happy about the technology. It's meaningless if they cannot learn something from it. Mm. So when we look at it, when we try to adopt some kind of technology, for example, the one that I introduced to you a few days ago, the virtual laboratory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, students can can wear a Google and try to do a lab virtually, but can they learn something? Or they simply just treat it as a game. Yeah, I finish all the tasks in the game. I, I complete the game. Yeah, I have the satisfaction of playing that game. Mm-hmm. Do you know the meaning of that lab test? Do you know why they are doing it? Do you know whether they are doing it correctly? That is what really matters when it comes to education. That's why we, before we adopt it, we are actually thinking about like how can we enhance the monitoring, the support that the instructor or the TA can provide to students when they are playing with these kind of virtual laboratory sections. So we try to look at when students are doing it together, how we can use technology to identify which students is struggling, which students is moving smoothly. Yes, that students can go ahead. 
if students struggle in the virtual test, if we can identify that because they are doing it in the virtual world, like we have all the data to look at it automatically, whether students is progressing smoothly or not. And then we'll give out the signal to the instructor and then the instructor can provide timely feedback to the student and assist the student in the process. What we are trying to do is not just, yeah, you can do a physical test, but now we change it to a game. We try to use that kind of virtual platform to enhance that lab test experience. That's what we are trying to achieve. So it's not just simulating the lab experience, it's enhancing yeah. it in a sense. And I can also see how it will benefit students because you will have a diverse cohort of students. Some will be at different levels of understanding of the procedure that you're trying to achieve in the, in the lab. And what you are doing now is you're allowing to address unique situations of each unique student, right? Because you see it in real time as they're going through that. Mm -hmm. So it's enhancing the teacher's ability to address the needs of students and individual students. Exactly. Yeah. You're playing with VR in different ways too. And not just the lab experience and being able to give feedback in real time. You're also looking at empowering students with VR and design thinking mm -hmm. as well. Can you explain a little bit about what you're doing there? I would say that is kind of accidental because of pandemic. We used to run a lot of experiential design course where students go to the lab and they be robot, physical robot and participate in competition. But because of pandemic, students cannot go to the lab. So that's why we've been thinking about, is there any other way that we can get students to participate in this kind of design process? without going to the lab physically. So that's why a few years ago, we start to adopt Blender, uh, which is a 3D modeling and design tools. Mm -hmm. We didn't adopt this kind of virtual world design in the past because there is a learning curve because it's a new software. It's a kind of new modeling technique that students in general will take quite some time to learn. And it's also these softwares used to be very expensive, but because of the advancement in technology, it comes to the stage that we start to feel comfortable. Yeah. After we tried it for a few years, we actually learned that students can have better creativity when they're doing design in the virtual world because there is no physical boundary. There are lots of things that will stop them because like think about it when we ask students to build a robot, if they don't have the still work technique, if they cannot use the power tools properly, if they don't have proper 3D printing technique, laser cutting technique, it's almost impossible for them to build something mm -hmm. because like building something, building a prototype requires lots of different kinds of skill sets. But in the virtual world, everything is possible. I mean, you can build a sundial that is like 600 meters tall. Mm -hmm. You don't need to worry about the material. You don't need to worry about skill set. So it becomes an ideal platform to get students to put in their creativity. A lot of time when we craft a course, we are thinking about too many things to put things together. We want students to have creativity. We also want students to have the technical skills that we also want students to have the prototyping skill. But it's impossible to get everyone in 12 weeks. So a lot of students struggle. I mean, I cannot build a proper prototype, even though I'm very good in programming. I cannot achieve anything. But when it comes to virtual world, then you can forget about all these. Just get students to focus on creativity. Get students to focus on design thinking. Understand the need of the client. Create a virtual prototype to show the idea. Actually, students perform a lot better than the physical experiential learning course in terms mm. of creativity. So we try to write on that. So we change our design course 
into more creativity-based course. So we spent half of the semester talk about creativity and how to improve their creativity and then use this virtual world as a platform to get them to design something. For example, redesign the toy that they liked when they were a kid, design the engineering common, design cubicle that students can sleep in the cubicle without affecting other people. So when it comes to this kind of scenario, students, actors can really put in their creativity in the design process. And I'm actually thinking about changing it into a signature course, really try to get students to understand what creativity is really about and how to improve their creativity in the future. Yeah, and I mean, this is so much more than just learning the theory and the the content within a particular domain. This is actually looking at real world problems in yeah. the sense that they can transfer this experience mm. and design thinking what they're learning in this course into other contexts, mm. right? I've seen too many times uh, examples of people coming up with an idea and saying, wow, look at this idea. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, for, let's say AI uh, converting text to an image, yeah. right? And they're like, look at this image. Isn't this really neat? And I said, well, yeah, that's neat. But what problem is it solving? Why yeah. are you doing this, right? And are we training students to be able to think about yeah. what is the purpose of this design and what problems is it solving in that? So I can see how this would benefit students. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Enlight is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. Now, let's get back to the conversation between Dr. McMinn and Professor Chan. We've been discussing the role of technology in education. Our conversation noted that the use of technology must not only be exciting, but it must also help students learn. Professor Chan talked about how his team designed a virtual lab tool not only simulates a lab experience, but also enhances it by giving real-time feedback to students and assisting them when they are struggling. He also mentioned that his team is looking to use VR to empower students with design thinking. The idea came from the pandemic, which made it challenging for students to participate in a design process physically. We continue the conversation by discussing how a new AI-led world could potentially disrupt teaching. And we discuss how educators should focus on enhancing students' decision-making, curiosity, creativity, and communication skills, rather than preventing them from using such technology. And I want to come back to what you were talking about earlier, about how students can go to Google and get information. Mm -hmm. And part of your philosophy is knowing that they can do this. So how can we enhance their learning experience beyond that? Let's put Google aside now and let's talk about AI mm. and, and chat GPT, yeah. right? Uh, this is it's something, a big thing. this is a big thing, right? This is so much more than Google. Yeah. Um, so I think more than ever, we need to rethink students' learning experiences in the classroom. How do you see this impacting what you're doing in e I? It's definitely a game changer. This kind of AI tools um, is going to change education permanently in the future. It, and it's coming very soon. I mean, honestly, things that I talk about, you create a 3D model of a house, for example. In the old days, students probably have to spend 100 hours to do that. Now you go to chat GBD and you just type in two-story house with furniture. It will generate the model for you in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not plagiarism. 
because the AI will generate something new for you every time. Yeah. Education right now is built on this framework that, yeah, we want you to do something original. So we have all these tools and software to make sure that there's no plagiarism in the process. But this kind of AI software actually changed the game. I mean, you, you want to report, I just go to the AI webpage, I want to report on sustainability. And AI will generate the report and that is like new, original, because it's original from the AI's perspective. So how can we prevent students doing something like that? It's been a big topic in higher education, but from my perspective, why we have to stop students doing this? If the future is that you can just type something in, in the web page and it will generate everything that you need for you, let it be. Try to get students to move away from this. If mm. the, the AI can generate the house for you, you think about what other elements you can add in to make it even better. Rather than say, now you don't use AI, you still have to do it yourself. But why they have, they already have the tools. It's already mature enough for them to use. Just let them use it and then get them to focus their time on different kind of learning. I mean, they're kind of like decision-making, curiosity, creativity, communication. These are still things that students can spend time to improve. This kind of cognitive element, some of the things that we rely on in higher education over the past hundred years, somehow we have to, I'm not saying that we throw it away. To understand the wisdom of people in the past is a process for you to improve yourself. But if that is something that is already developed, that is something that's already happening, instead of stopping students from using the technology, I think we should focus on try to adapt to the technology yeah. and see how our education can get students to work together with these technology to come up with something even better. Yep. I know the um, GPT-3, I think GPT-4 is coming very soon already. Yeah. I know it will improve, but I've been playing a lot around with it myself. And what I've learned very quickly is the results you get from it really depend a lot on the prompts you ask. Yeah. All right. So if you want complex results, you need to ask complex, detailed prompts. And those prompts need to be informed with the knowledge that you have already. Mm, yeah. So if, I, if I'm not very knowledgeable about sustainability, like the one you gave as an example, my prompts will probably be basic, very mm. general. And so the results I'll get are similar. Yep. In my view, in this sense, and with what you're talking about is, why not make use of this tool to enhance the learning experience, yep. right? You're still able to test the student's knowledge and understanding of design yep. thinking or something that they need to do in the lab, for example, if they're writing a paper, a lab report. You can still make sure that they're learning in the sense that you're teaching them how to critically come up with prompts. They create something and then they move on to another step where they either explain what they've created. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they only just relied on the artificial intelligence to create it, but they never tried to learn it, it becomes very evident very quickly that they don't understand. Yeah, totally agree with yeah. that. So the matter is not how students use technology to cheat. It is come back to our assessment. Yeah. How we assess students correctly to be able to see what they learn and how they work together with the technology. That's something we have to do and have to reform significantly to look at, like how should we assess students and what are the things that we have to assess our students rather than say, yeah, you have 10 equations. I want you to remember that 10 equation in order to prevent you from Googling it. I'm putting in lots of these restrictions to stop you from Googling mm. The other way around is that if they can Google it, 
why don't we assess something different? What's happening in higher education is that we start thinking about what students need to learn. We are still sticking with the textbook. Okay, that the textbook, these are the things that students have to learn, but the world is changing very quickly. And so as our assessment approach and our assessment scheme. I think you're spot on. I think we have to rethink what are we assessing and why are we assessing? A lot of what we're talking about too is that 21st century skills in a sense, mm. the needs are changing, right? AI mm. and other tools and other technologies, VR is changing the mm. landscape both within academia, but also in the professional world and what's required. And if we start thinking about what you're doing with creativity, but also problem solving, my view is we have to remind ourselves that quite often problems are unique to a context. Mm. And AI can't give you all those answers until you actually experience it. And this is where experiential learning becomes important because it forces them into a unique context. And so I'm just wondering if you can maybe explain a little bit more uh, about this in what you're doing and with the future possibilities. Mm. How can you prepare students for this new environment where they need to solve problems that lack definition, that are mm. uh, contextual? I will say that it's not just one element because... I mean, if we can say there's one element that will help students to solve real-world problem, then we don't have real-world problem anymore yeah. because we solve all of them. There are several elements that I can like elaborate a little bit more. Uh, first of all, as uh, you mentioned about with the power of AI, what students can do. I mean, to a large extent, I would perceive AI as you work with another person in the team setting. In a class, you divide students into team. Mm -hmm. And one of your teammates is an AI. You can perceive it that way. So what AI can do is, based on the need of the project, the AI will propose a solution. But that doesn't mean that that solution is the best solution in the world. You still have to have this kind of critical thinking to criticize, is there anything missing? Is that problem defined properly? Is that solution good enough? Are we migrating problem from one area to another area? Because AI, although it's very powerful in terms of calculation power. Mm -hmm. uh, it can actually consolidate lots of data within a short period of time. For example, a very typical example, a EV car. So the AI, for example, can give you the design of a electric vehicle. Mm -hmm. what, what is that problem? If, if our problem is environment, so we want to save the environment, then is the electricity itself green? If not, electric vehicle is not solving the problem. But AI will not be able to analyze that. So students still need to think critically. I mean, if you simply just solve the problem of creating electric vehicle, that's easy. Yeah. AI can do it. But the deeper idea is that are we migrating the problem from the vehicle back to the energy production source? That is something AI will not be able to come up directly. So just like what you say, Either you have a good understanding and frame your problem to AI properly so that the AI will consider all these factors, or mm -hmm. you're the one who have the kind of critical thinking skill set to be able to criticize. Yeah, it's a solution, but is that the solution that we are looking for? So I, I think these are the elements that we need students to develop. That's why when we are framing a course, we actually spend more and more time for students to look at the first two stages. That's the empathy stage. Mm. Understand what is the problem. Understand what is the need. And try to find out a correct problem to solve rather than try to solve the problem correctly. Yeah. So that is the trend of higher education in the future. 
we need to spend more time to get students to focus on something that AI cannot do. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 there's so many new things right now happening. It's, it's exciting and daunting at the same time, but I think you're absolutely right in what you're talking about. Coming back to a little bit to what you're also working on currently, one of the other things that struck me was you're mixing time and space mm. and environments mm. during students' learning experiences. It's a combination of synchronous learning, asynchronous learning, mm. virtual learning, face-to-face learning, all in one sometimes. What's the logic behind all that madness? I- yes, it's a madness because we have a robot that just putting in the laboratory one day and then students play around with it for two months. And then uh, we actually have lots of crazy things uh, happening in different places. We have the makerspace, which open 24 hours a day. And it's a makerspace with no technician at all. Uh, it's actually fully operated by students. I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier, our philosophy is empowering. We actually get students involved in designing the course, in teaching the course. Laboratory is actually all operated by students mm-hmm. 24 hours a day. We actually utilizing students in different stage of everything that we are doing. Peer mentoring program, um, academic advising program, site visits, courses. We talk to students, see what students want, mm-hmm. what kind of experience that they want, what kind of things that they want to do. Because they are current students. They understand what students need. And then based on their comments, we try to craft something together with them. So I would say that a lot of the things that we've been doing, it's not just me, it's not just U-Square, it's actually students. They decide what they want to have in these facilities. They decide what they want to do in these courses. And then I'm not saying that we just flow a course and then students, you do it for me. But we try to work with them together. We change the structure of the course. We change the content of the course based on their comment and then get them to participate. They also understand the difficulties of what we are doing as well. So it's a win-win situation. I, I, I would say that uh, the laboratory, we get students to look after the laboratory. At the end of the day, the group of students who benefit the most from this entire process is actually those students that we utilize to yeah. look after the lab because they have the ownership of this is our laboratory. This is the laboratory that we create, we frame it into the current state. And they have the ownership and they want to make it even better. And that kind of thinking will transfer into the benefit of the next generation. And then that process continue on. It becomes a more sustainable framework by empowering students to do something. And when you have that intrinsic motivation that they, they probably get through that empowerment, uh, it probably encourages them to continue on, right? Because it's the intrinsic motivations that's pushing them to move ahead. Whereas in traditional educational settings, I'm just speaking from my point of view now, where they're only looking for the reward of a grade or a high GPA and whatnot, it doesn't really motivate them, right? They might do it to get the good grade, they get it, but then after that, they stop. But in the sense, what you're doing is you're getting them to encourage to continue on beyond the classroom, I would assume. One final question, the future of eSquareI, where do you want it to go? What I want to see eSquareI to go in the future is to expand that research element. Everything that we discussed so far are actually new teaching pedagogies using new technology. Um, And every time, even though we're running the same course, we try to put in new elements. Sometimes we are doing airship, sometimes 
we are building robots. Sometimes we are building soccer robots. Sometimes we are doing virtual design. Every time we do something new and we consolidate this experience of using new teaching pedagogy, we try to extract the good things and then try to remind ourselves about what is not working. I think this actually enhanced our philosophy, enhanced our work a lot because we are trying new things and we are doing research, we are doing study on how new teaching pedagogy affect our students. Mm -hmm. uh, we keep having focus group discussion with the students in our courses or in our other programs to understand what they're thinking about. I think this is a very, very important element for a unit that try to provide better quality education because things are changing very quickly. Mm. I mean, education has to change with the same speed. Um, in order to do that, we need to have this momentum going to have the understanding of, yeah, we need to do something new. Okay, we need to try something new. I mean, you try something new, it's not working, doesn't really matter. We learn from it change it again and then do it again until we find a good way to teach our students. The worst thing is that you just keep stagnant. You just, yeah, that course I've been teaching for 20 years, let me teach the same way for another 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the thing that we want to prevent. So I think for any unit, any university that want to have better quality of education, the research element is critical. The unit, I, all these like teaching staff, faculties, the reason why we are creating new things is that they get used to the environment that having new teaching pedagogy, having new element in courses is part of their life and they have satisfaction because they use a new pedagogy and it's works. Students like it. Yeah. So that kind of satisfaction, once you implant it in your system, then it becomes something natural, it becomes something automatic that people, even though I don't ask, they will still think about how we can do something better, how we can try something new, because every time I ask for something new. So um, I think this is what I want to see E-Square I will be able to do in the future, because when we stop doing something new, then we don't need that unit anymore. Mm. So that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of students are going to be benefiting from your work in years to come. And thank you very, very much, Ben, for joining us. Yeah, thank uh, you very much. It's always a pressure to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Enlight, brought to you by the Center of Education Innovation of HKUST. We hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. Enlight is produced by the team at CEI, hosted by Dr. Sean McMinn, graphic design by Ling Wong, sound design by Ken Yu. And a big thank you to our editorial team, Beatrice Chu, Amy Chong, Crystal Luo, and Yui Lam. Thank you again for listening to Enlight, and we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations in the future.